Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to what I can offer you as a master coach. I can help you to focus on your why with clarity, uniting your passion with your purpose with a plan to create the life you truly desire. Book a free 20 minute coaching call right now via calendly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson forward slash call and we can take it from there. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Richard Stone. Hello, Richard. How are you? Hello, Amy. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Um, I'm really good, actually. Yeah, I'm absolutely flying today. Really good day. Is that normal to have be flying? Yeah, I'm. Listen, my my kind of mental health looks like somebody's ECG that's had about five heart attacks. I have days that are absolutely amazing, and I have days that that really, truly, and absolutely shocking. So yeah, my um, that's you know, I, I work in property and coaching and stuff, and I have days which are really, really great when we have big wins in property and you know, construction contracts that come with sort of the downfall sometimes and the challenges. So those days are. Um, uh, uh, let's just say probably not quite so enjoyable probably is the best word to describe them I would say. So this is a, a, a mental health roller coaster that you're putting yourself on every day knowing that you're not sure whether it's going to be high or low but you're okay with that. Um, yeah I have been I mean I've been in construction 40 years it's, well, it's 40 years this year since I first set foot in a set of footings. Um, I've worked in construction properly for 30 years this year. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's always been that way. It's, you know, it is a hard industry. It's the first industry to go into recession. It's always the last one out. There's no sort of guarantee of employment past the end of a contract. Quite often the welfare conditions are not always the best, which is why we set our own our own set businesses up a number of years ago because we were sick of working in that kind of environment. So, but yeah, it is. It certainly is. Yeah, you know, it's not the same as just having a paye job where you go and clock in every day and clock out. But in truth, I, I couldn't do that. I'm not that kind of person. I love the variety. Um, we are. I've gone on a massive personal development journey in the last probably five or six years, which has made me really think long and hard about actually what my why is um, and that started when I got diagnosed with a, um, an invisible illness called ulcerative colitis um, because one of, the, or one of the issues with that is, is chronic fatigue um, which means I get really really like, like tired just does not people say oh you get a bit tired it's like no tired is just not on the same page so it made me really think about what I want to do with my life and where I want to use the energy um, and currently there are no cures so Nobody knows. Some people have had it for sort of 20 years and are still fine. Other people um, have faced quite a lot of more challenges quite quickly. So nobody really knows how, how good or bad that's going to go. So it's made me really think about what I actually want to do and, and ultimately come back to actually what is my why. So at the moment, we're still in, we're still in construction. We're still doing projects. I think I will probably always have one foot in that um it's you know it's what I've done all my life 
Um, but what, I'm, what I've moved into now is actually leveraging that education that I've had and all of that experience to help other people that want to take their money from traditional sort of investment houses and investment asset classes and move into property, but don't know how to go about doing it and don't know how to do it safely and compliantly so that they make the money they think they're going to make at the beginning. So I'm doing much more around the kind of the coaching and mentoring of those of those sort of investors type clients. Um, and what that's also meaning is that I've then got more time to be able to focus on kind of like my absolute why, which is helping and supporting young people that work. So I work for work with or volunteer with three different organisations. One is about aimed at getting young people into roles in construction because they know that's what they want to do. One is working with young people that are still in school and explaining the roles that are gateways into construction, but the, the sort of the depth and breadth of opportunities and the transitional skills that you can pick up by joining the industry first. And then the other one is working with young people that are, are either in pupil referral units at the moment um, or actually have been through the PRU kind of cycle and have actually been rejected through the PRU cycle because actually their behaviour um, is such that actually it, that they can't be accommodated within that learning environment. So, and that's where I want to spend more and more of my time. You know, construction has been really good to me. It's been good to my family financially. It's provided us with a good lifestyle. Um, but now I feel that I want to actually give back and actually use my time to to leave the industry in a better place. It's not an industry that's blessed with a great reputation, um, and some of that's deserved. You know, I'm not I'm not saying it's not. Um, there are shocking situations that have happened in the past. It's still a dangerous environment. Two people every day, or two males in construction every day, commit suicide, which is a horrible statistic, but it's a fact. And I want to leave the, um, and I am really passionate about leaving the industry in a better situation than it was when I joined it. And actually, that's having a more balanced and diverse workforce, better quality facilities on site, better quality of product, because there's massive instances where actually the quality of the product isn't great. So that's where I kind of want to focus my time. So I've, I've kind of reframed my why um, as I've kind of gone along. My values, haven't, my values haven't changed in terms of what they are, but how they stack in terms of the order of priority has undoubtedly changed massively. So what's at the top of the list at the moment, Richard? Um, education. Self-education and the education of others. Um, and that's why I've invested massively over the last sort of four years in being in being trained to be a technical speaker and a keynote speaker, because to be able to effectively articulate a message is a skill in itself. You know, you can have the technical knowledge but if you're if you're not able to actually communicate that effectively and articulate the points you want to make in a way that actually lands, it's pretty pointless. And there's a guy who um, I I've I have had the opportunity to share the stage with um, in Clubhouse occasionally and made a really, really good analogy. And I'm quite, uh, I'm big on analogies and I'm big on visuals. And his analogy about communication was commun perfect communication is like when Torval and Dean skate across the ice and they win their medal. That's the act, that's what you, you're aiming for is really effective communication. But the reality is, that most people's real world communication in this day and age is actually like week one of dancing on ice. <laughs> because one person will be vomiting loads of words. The other person is listening to respond and not actually listening to hear and take on board what's being said. 
So you end up with an absolute mismatch. And that's not communication. So my starting point really was investing in actually the sort of the training and the development of actually how to actually go about getting that message forward. Yeah, I am with you on how important it is to communicate your message and hearing the people that you want to support and being in those different areas of groups, especially the younger age groups, your communication also changes depending on your audience. Absolutely. Um, language and one of the challenges that I have is trying to be congruent because I was born in Birmingham. I'm a Brummie born and bred. And, and yet I don't sound like that unless I speak to my mum on the phone, which is every week on a Sunday, normally around 7pm. Not that I've got OCD, of course. Or I go to Birmingham, and then I go back, like, I had to go back to my aunt's funeral during COVID, and um, we were fortunate enough to be able to have a substantial amount of people at the funeral, which you know a lot of people weren't, so I'm thankful for that. But within seconds, I was back to talking fluent Brummy, and I don't know what happened. <laughs> it's just like I've almost kind of got this sort of ultra ego. So, but you do, you know. I mean, I talk to gangs of gangs of young lads in South London that are all sort of there with their hoods up and their AirPods in at day one, week one of Youth Builds Mental Toughness Program. That's a different dynamic to talking to a load of property investors that are putting millions of pounds into a property scheme. And one of the things that so, I mean, I left school and went, worked on the tools for years and I, I didn't go to uni. I sort of went to school of hard knocks and put myself through college and progressed through construction, site management into senior management and board level. So I've had to learn the ability to communicate and influence at different levels. And that does mean using different language. It means using different methods of communication. Everybody's got different learning style preferences. Everybody takes on board information in different ways. So it's about trying to work out the people that you're talking to, are they visual learners? Are they audio learners? Do you know, do you know, are you better using a diagram to explain something? Do words work? Are you better writing stuff down and providing resource materials? Everyone has different ways of taking on board information. So it's kind of, it's about trying to gauge the person that you're going to be speaking to and work out what is the best way that you can do that, which is why I'm so massively invested in sort of understanding mindset and all of the stuff around NLP because all it ultimately it provides me a better insight into me, which means I can be a better leader, a better manager, you know, a better speaker. Um, but also it's a really, really useful tool in terms of actually being able to gauge the audience of people that you're speaking with. And part of those audience aren't actually wanting really to be there because as you said, there's the young people have been sort of forced to sit and listen to what you have to say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean it's probably I would say probably 75 to 80% of the people at week one, day one at Youth Build are there not through their own choice. Um, and that's why it is the single most powerful thing to witness to go back. So I normally go back to, to one, once or twice during the programme of 12 weeks and do a couple of keynotes around um, employability skills and interview skills. And then I do one on mental health as well. Um, and then I've been back probably five or six different cohorts to their graduation ceremony. And to witness the change, honestly, literally brings tears. I'm a mess. It brings tears to my eyes because it's so life-changing what they've gone through. You know, these are these are groups of people that at day one, week one, won't look at one another. They don't know each other for the most part. They sit there, they'll have their hoods pulled down, they'll have their AirPods in, 
they will not engage with anyone at all. And yet they get to the end of the program and they're all hugging each other. They've got massive, their emotional intelligence has probably grown 500% in the course of that program. And it's, it's really, you know, that's what I sort of see as my finest work, but it's, that's really powerful, but it can be equally as powerful when you sit and talk to somebody whose boss is paying for them to have coaching and they don't really want to be there. They don't understand what it means. Their idea of a coach is the thing that they catch to the rugby or football at the weekend. And then you have a conversation with them and understand where they're at and meet them where they are rather than where you are and have some conversations with them and work with them. And then all of a sudden you can unpack loads of really, really previously unknown potential. And, you know, I've got, there's a few examples of that with people that have gone on to achieve good things in their careers and people have gone on to form massive businesses off the back of often and not always but sometimes I mean there's one particular guy that I only had one call with and off the back of the stuff that we unpacked in that one call he went off to set up a 50 million pound construction business because with with some of the stuff we talked about you could just see he's going ping ping it's light bulb moment after light bulb moment and it's you know I don't I don't know how I do it it's just just what I do. It's just seems to have an ability to sort of see things that other people don't see and and put things in a way that really that lands with people without trying to use a thousand words or stretch something that takes an hour into ten hours worth of work just because you can charge more for it. So your journey, your own personal development journey in the last five to six years, which was triggered by your hidden illness, but then sort of concreted by the fact that you know that you've got this ability or this driver to help and support young people. Is it a younger version of Richard that you're essentially helping? Wow, that's remarkably insightful. Um, I think yes, probably. Um, my, you know, I, I didn't, I, you know, I, I grew up in a nuclear family, you know, my parents both have good jobs. Um, I didn't come from something like a broken home and have all sorts of terrible troubles. Um, but when I was eight, my dad got promoted um, and we moved from one end of the country to the other. And, you know, sometimes as parents, we do things that we think are for the best of our family and they can, uh, unfortunately, have unintentional consequences that nobody foresaw. And what it meant was I got, I got really badly bullied. Um, the way I dealt with it, I went and got a job at 11 in a pub and I used my wages to pay the bullies and I sort of built my self-esteem by working really hard. And, and went from there but so I think maybe there's part of that um but I've also lost two really really good friends to suicide um and part of that it, you know I have got some guilt that surrounds that because you know I wished I could have you know so I wished I could you know if I could go back and turn the clock back I would have seen it coming and I would have been able to stop it in reality I know that that probably might not be the case but what I do know is that I never want to go a day without actually doing my best to make sure that anybody that I come into contact with is okay and then you know it's got whatever support they need always signposted to that and one of the things that we do as a result of that um is when we have meetings and stuff the first thing we always do is sort of sit down at the beginning and we we ask people to explain where they're at on a scale of one to ten in their personal and their work life um and it's not something that i created it's a technique that um and a previous employer of mine was in a mentoring group where he learned it and he shared it with us and we did it as a team <clears throat> and um, the results were really, really positive, really good. So I then started doing it with my reports, and I did it with some um, clients as well after a period of about six months. 
and I had a conversation with with a guy one day um, who wasn't in senior management, but he was certainly on a on a big career path to get there, and he was well on his way. Um, but he'd never told anybody that he was gay, and that was the thing that at that meeting he felt empowered to be able to to make that disclosure. Just as a result of somebody saying, "Look, where are you at today? How are you feeling?" And that's part of my why is actually, you know, are people, you know, are people genuinely okay? Because how many people like speak to someone and go, "You right, mate?" Oh, okay, yeah, and then they're straight on to whatever they want to talk about. Well, that's not actually really serving that person because there's not actually a genuine interest in is that person okay? So if we can reshape that conversation and reframe that conversation. Straight away, there's going to be better connection and better rapport, which is only ever going to lead to better outcomes and better conversations with people that are ultimately probably going to be richer and deeper in the mean in them at the point in time. So it can only really be a positive outcome, and it it doesn't take loads and loads of time. Some people are really negative and like, oh, we haven't got time for that. Well, let's make time because actually, if you have that conversation at the beginning, what I've found is that all of the posturing and bullshit that people normally come out of in meetings because they feel they need to get one over on the person that's opposite them or next to them or settle some little score from a week ago or something someone hasn't done an action on a set of meeting minutes loads of that stuff just just it just vaporizes it's just not there because actually there's a greater sense of community there's a greater sense of belonging there's more there's a greater feeling of psychological safety which allows people to open up so they're less than on the defensive when it comes to admitting that something isn't completed or or didn't get the outcome that they predicted it would be. So you tend to get better outcomes at meetings. Yeah. I mean, that question that you had on a scale of one to 10, where are you in your personal work life? Uh, I've asked that question many times in various situations, but there was one time when I used it with a friend and usually I'm using it in a work capacity with coaching and that friend did turn around and say, I'm really not in a good place and that they had a really very serious suicidal thoughts. And you just wonder, as you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, how powerful that question is, how simple it is to ask. And yet the results and the outcomes are just essentially could be life changing. Absolutely. And it's often the most simple questions that can have the most far reaching impact is. One of the things that I do, not not in every speaking event that I do, but quite often, but after I've done like kind of the first like, sort of sort of minute or so about who I am and what I've why I've been asked to speak, I'll ask people to, to just take a moment and answer the question in their head, who are they without reference to their job or their role in their family? And the amount of people that come up to me afterwards and say, I've never thought about that. And yet it's three simple words. They're not, they're not even classed as words if you're doing a typing test because not one of them's got five characters in it. But actually, some of these questions are actually the most powerful questions we can ask ourselves. Yeah, I, I love that. And and stripping back the labels is such a, a great exercise that you're speaking of. So tell me about the why, because you, you are clearly in alignment with it. But is it something that you have only recently discovered or is it something that you've kind of been working with but didn't realize or labeled it in that sense yourself in terms of purpose I think I was probably subconsciously working working around it for probably the last 10 years um I 
I think it was about six and a half years ago, we were doing um, some massive presentations for big tens of millions of pounds social housing contracts. And one of the people um, that was a silent partner um, worked for, I can't remember who it was, what she worked for, but it was a global sized business. And she did a lot of work around what their unique proposition was and what their brand values were and what individual people's personal brand represented. Um, and she came into the session with us because we were sort of building out these slide decks and stuff. And it was, we needed, I felt we needed to kind of sort of show up as who we really were, not hide behind a big slide deck in a corporate suit. And I think part of that was obviously being influenced by sort of the loss of two, two sort of close friends. And um, we were doing some work around what our individual brands were, what our personal values were. And um, she just said, right, I'm just going to put this on and I'm going to leave the room. And she put on Simon Sinek's sort of circle speech. And I was just blown away. And I must have watched that hundreds of times since then. And it really made me think about Actually, like to start with, I didn't even understand it. I was like, what is this? It's just a circle. It doesn't make any sense. But the more I sort of worked on it, the more I sort of thought about it and researched it and looked into it and stuff. I was like, yeah, I, you know, I totally get this. This makes more sense now. And it made me think about what I'm doing, what I want to do. So I think it's lots of things. I think it's, it's that work. It's the personal development on that. It's the NLP work. It's, you know, would I have reached all of that? Would I have done that work on myself if I hadn't gone on the journey that I've been on? Would I have done that if I hadn't had the experiences I had as a young man? I don't know. I don't have the luxury of being able to run that parallel lane to say yes or no. I think, you know, I was talking to someone literally about an hour and a half ago about a property deal that they were looking at, and they've got a bit, quite a bit of sunk cost. They're quite wedded to it. And I was like, look, you need to back away from this. They're like, okay. But I would have looked at this deal in three months' time and think it's easy. I said, yeah, but you're not the same person in three months time you are today because what you experience today can shape and change you for life. So I am a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. What, go what goes by you is not meant for you, you know, and, and I was really fortunate, you know, when I was young, I spent quite a lot of time with my nan during the summer holidays and also with my granddad from different sides of the family. And, you know, my nan was, you know, she was a bar, she worked beyond the bar. She worked in a bingo hall. But some of the things that she said to me, I'll never forget. And some of those lessons have been some of the most important things that have actually sort of helped me at certain times in my life that I could have, that, you know, were far more valuable to me than, than a decade in a traditional school environment. So I think there's lots of things. And I think it, it, it's a culmination of all those things. Um, certainly a big, big moment was when I realised that my mental health was struggling. Um, so to put the context around that and what, what that means, because loads of people talk about mental health. So without the context, it's meaningless. So my wife was a police officer. Um, we met at school when we were 13. Um, we both then went off and married the wrong people. And then both got divorced and we got together about 10 or 11 years ago. No, yeah, 11 or 12 years ago. Um, she always wanted to be a police officer. It was the only thing she ever wanted to do. And she did it, and she did it really well for 15 years. She had some amazing roles, some of the most coveted roles within the force. Um, but the toll that it took on her mental health and the way that she was treated by management meant that um, it came to a point where her mental health had suffered so badly she couldn't carry on. So she took a career break for five years and went and got some help. Um, and I was, I was sitting at a mastermind group in Ireland, 
Um, and we with like a hot seat where we had to sort of explain where we were at in business and what was what our challenges were and stuff. And as I, as I sat down, I was like, I've seen three people over the last day get peeled like absolute onions. I'm not that's not happening to me. I'm, I just want some business support about sales and marketing. I'm not. I don't need to talk about the personal stuff. I'm not here to talk about my childhood. Let's just talk about the business stuff. And I got peeled layer by layer by layer. And in the end, it was quite apparent that it would probably be beneficial for me to go and talk to them because I hadn't done. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, even talking to therapists and counsellors like I do now, even they go and get support when they're coaching people because actually it's important that they get supervision to make sure that they're okay. And I, I didn't know that, wasn't it? you know, I was the most unqualified person to give mental health first aid probably in the world. So I went and saw a counsellor and I thought, well, the night before I did it, well, if I'm going to do this and if I feel this way, then I'm probably not the only person in the world that does. But there's probably quite a lot of people that are not at the point yet where it's, but they feel that it's okay for them to admit that and to go and get some help. So I just did a two and I think it was like two and a half minute video explaining that my head was a shed, that I was going to go and see a counsellor. Um, I came up against quite a stiff resistance from a few people around me. Um, not my close family, but other people um, who said it probably wouldn't be a good idea to tell the world that this is what was going to happen as a business owner um, because clients wouldn't want to work with you. So I did what I do best, which is do what I think's right. And I put the video on LinkedIn, like the professional platform where everyone thinks that people just turn up in suits and you shouldn't talk about anything that's not strictly business related. And I got inundated with people. I had clients saying, are you okay? Is there anything we can do to help? Oh, please, I hope it's not something we've done. I had trades and subcontractors saying, oh my word, I'm really struggling. Um, and I had some, some very, very deep um, private messages, which I was fortunate enough to be able to sort of signpost people and have some conversations with people, which then went on to get some help. And one of the people that I spoke to, I, I speak to regularly now, um, and he's fine. But he made a statement about, I don't know, probably four months later. And he said, it's all right for you, Stoney. He said, because you don't have a share, a boss to answer to. You haven't got shareholders. You know, you're not running a 500 million pound company. You're not on a board anymore. You've got your own businesses. You can talk about whatever you want. But could you honestly have done what you've done when you've had some of your senior management positions in the past? And it, I felt like I'd been shot when he asked me that. It was really, really, really shocking. And I reflected on it quite a lot over the course of sort of two or three months. And he was right, really right. No, I couldn't. And it would never have crossed my mind to be able to actually be prepared to be that, that imperfect, that courageously imperfect and, and show that vulnerability side. And I was, so I went back to him when, when, when we next spoke, because I used to stay in touch with him um, and check in and make sure he was okay. And we've actually become, I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're, we're probably, you know, probably, we're probably our friends, if I'm honest. And I've had that conversation with him a few times since then. But I actually, what it's made me realise is that there are a world of subjects out there that are really taboo, that really shouldn't be. You know, there is no training at all for senior leaders about the menopause. No one talks about it. 
people hush it up. It's like, what? You want you tell you tell people that you want a diverse board, and yet everybody's had a traditional education. What about the person that hasn't had a traditional education? What about the person that had a different family background? You know, diversity is so much more than just having people from different racial backgrounds. And that's why now on my podcast, I'll talk about all sorts of stuff because these subjects need to be talked about. And we need more people to step forward and be prepared to actually have these conversations. If we want businesses where we've got equal split between male and female staff, we need to make it an environment where it's 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 welcoming and, it, and it's safe and it's comfortable for people to have the, have the kind of the natural occurrences that, that occur for people. And, and unless we have these conversations, it's not going to happen. You know, it isn't, it isn't just, you know, it's not just people in their 50s that go through the menopause. There's the perimenopause. There's people that have a menopause that's medically induced. There's people that have a menopause in their early 20s or, and mid and late 20s for exceptional medical reasons. But as employers, we need to know that these situations can arise. We need to know about invisible illness because when I was I was talking to somebody last week in a clubhouse room, and they were going to sack someone because they had an issue with repeated, repeatedly not turning up for work. And she was like, "Yeah, this is what I'm going to do." Let's go. And I straight away, well, she just spoke for a few minutes, and I could see exactly what the symptoms were. And I said to her, "I reckon that person's got some form of IBD." I'm not saying it's you, see. It could be IBD, it might be UC, it might be Crohn's. I hope it's none, and I hope you're right, because I've been through it. I wouldn't want anyone else to go through it. And I hope you're right. I hope they are just sort of pulling the sickie. But if they're not, do you not think you could better serve that person by talking to them and supporting them? It turns out they've got osteocolitis, but they didn't want to tell anyone because they were embarrassed. And the woman rung me and I said, look, I'll tell you how embarrassing it is. I had to take ladies' sanitary towels and cut the wings off because there was no products for men. You can't get much more embarrassing than that. You can't get much more embarrassing than being in a relationship and having to use suppositories. But we need to talk about these kinds of subjects because this is the world that we live in, and yet people are not prepared to. And the more that, that I do those kinds of events and those kinds of talks and... You know, someone asked me the other day if I could sum it up in a sentence. And I said, well, the only way I can really sum it up is being, being willing enough to, to accept the fact that you need to show up as being courageously imperfect. Because if you can do that, that is the starting point for creating psychological safety for people to be prepared to show some vulnerability. And the ironic thing with that is that when you go into different companies and you see and I've done it for reasons. I've done it because I've been employed. I've done it to do due diligence. I've done it for acquisitions. Most companies have the value of innovation. And yet the birthplace for that is actually vulnerability. Because to innovate is to create something. But to create something, it's not ever existed before. And if it hasn't existed before, it's likely to fail in its first iteration. If you don't have a situation where people are prepared and able and feel safe to make those mistakes, how can you ever possibly expect to deliver your values? You can't. It's just a joke. And when you say that to people, they're like, yeah, but you're taking it to too deep a level. I'm like, I'm just talking about the values that you've got plastered all over your reception and in your boardroom. And yet people 
don't want to have those kind of deeper conversations. It's just, I just find it ironic. Wow. Now, what a conversation, Richard. And you're absolutely right that you know, menopause isn't spoken about. And I have had two guests on my show, Focus on Why Now, Adele Martin and Lauren Sheeran, who are both championing menopause and speaking about it. And they are so inundated from a corporate perspective because there aren't that many people out there that are trying to encourage more menopause champions to come through. And the hidden illness, I mean, that is just horrendous what people go through and the the way that they get treated I have there was this person recently who was speaking about their issues of having a hidden illness they've they've, in fact they've had uh, bowel cancer and they they were needing the toilet in a public place and they were refused and therefore they had they, they, they had an accident in public um, yeah. and they were just like, this is ridiculous. Why are people so not accepting of hidden illness? It's not like I'm trying to use your loo because, you know, this, you know, I, I've been lazy. This is an emergency. Um, yeah. So being courageously imperfect and sharing what you shared just now, if that could make one change in an organization where people are looking at how they could better support their employees, or if it's, uh, one change that you could make and how you could better support your peers, your family, anyone, then I'm so grateful for you coming on today and talking about vulnerability and talking about failure, because it is such a a, a veneer world that we live in where, <clears throat> where people just paint this perfect outer, I, I don't know, outer... It's like costume. Yeah, is yeah, absolutely. They they have a mask on and they yeah. they have a facade. That's the word. So let's talk property. Let's talk about the facades that people use, and yeah. and and it's all fake. And you, you know, you started off this conversation, you know, talking about the challenges that you've had, talking about you know where chronic fatigue has showed up, where you, and has halt, you know halted you in your workplace and in your work, and there is no cure. Your energy ebbs and and you know to extreme levels. And yes, that's been a great catalyst for you, actually, to sort of slow down, to recognize what's going on and what's important. A lot of people, I'm not going to say luxury, because having a hidden illness is not a luxury, but they don't have the luxury of understanding what's really important in life. And that's where this podcast, and as you mentioned, your podcast is there to illustrate what is really important and what really matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's, I, and I might be wrong, so forgive me if I am. I think it's Ewan McGregor who's recently done a TV advert for, I don't know what the product is, but I know what the message is. And the message is that nobody ever went to their grave saying that they wished that they'd had a bigger flat screen TV or the latest Apple iPhone 13. And, you know, that's the truth. Nobody, you know, when things happen, I mean, I got literally rushed blue light to hospital. They thought I was having a heart attack a few years ago. And when when you have these things that happen, it does make you think about actually, what do I want to do? You know, is what I'm doing really serving me? And it is hard, you know. And I'm not I'm not on your show talk pretending it's not. It is really tough. And you know, I didn't and I couldn't for a year after that happened just walk out of that job because you know you live to to the lifestyle that you have and. You know, yes, it was challenging. Yes, I had a really demanding boss that was phoning me when I was in hospital. And the minute I came out, I actually ended up with a chauffeur for six months because they wanted me back in the office for within a week. 
But after that had happened and we sort of did some thinking and sort of made some changes, we got to a situation where we could make some make some life changes and, and set up on our own. Then that's what we did because, you know, yeah, money's great. But a very, very wise sage mentor that I had said to me, money's awesome, but all it'll buy you is a better class of misery if you're not happy. It can't buy you more time, and time is the most precious gift that we can have. So, you know, use it as wisely as possible. Well, thank you for sharing your time with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing why you do what you do, Richard. Have you um, got a way that people can reach out to get in contact with you? Oh uh, yeah, I'm on I'm on most of the social media platforms. I actually did my first reel yesterday, which was which was interesting. Um, yeah, um, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on so I'm just Richard Stone with a blue circle around my head. Um, this week, anyway. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter unless one of the children's on school holiday abroad somewhere because I just get <laughs> I just get hammered. So I'll just I tend to stay off there. So yeah, most of the social media platforms. But I'll put a, I'll put um, my link tree in. I'll send my link tree over because that's got like the filming of my TEDx and all sorts of public speaking stuff on there and things and resources for people to be able to go and look at other stuff. So that'll probably be the best place for people to have a look in the first instance, and then they can go from there. Perfect. So head down into the show notes. I've put everything in there for you to to be able to connect with Richard because I'm sure he'd want to hear from you, uh, particularly if you've got an answer to the question or if you've got a solution to the question of how senior management can be more vulnerable and be okay because that is a big problem and I know that I've just launched a podcast with a good friend Ali Spargo and she's talking about being humans at work because when we're not able to at sort of senior level bring the whole human to work and there is this very difficult element of who's going to who's going to run the company if I say that I'm struggling and you know what's going to happen to my job if I say I'm struggling and uh, and reach out for help and so yeah uh, as you say it is a big problem well wow, that's a whole another that's a, we could do a whole episode on that for sure yeah because I've been in that situation several times um I think my advice is to show up as who you genuinely are and lead from the front with that conversation have that conversation with your direct reports do the one to ten exercise because what you will truly find without a shadow of a doubt is you will find loads of untapped potential and untapped support so that would be that would be my starting point. You know, culture comes from the top. You can't expect interim middle managers who quite often and senior managers who are arguably in the most challenging position because they've got 360 degree pressure to, to show up and be vulnerable if they're in a culture where there isn't any form of psychological safety. So I would say have the courage to have those conversations. And if you find that difficult, reach out. There are people, I've got people I work with where I'll go and support them to have those conversations through facilitation. So I'll start the conversation by talking about where I'm at because you have to lead by example. So that would be where I would start, would be to have those conversations and people will actually be really amazed at where where those conversations will lead to. And, you know, it's the old, coming back to what my nan used to say, because I love a bit of nan's wisdom, but a problem shared is a problem half because just by verbalising it and talking about it, you will find solutions that your own paradigms and thoughts and stories you tell yourself wouldn't allow you to see. 
Well, thank you for your, sharing your Nan's wisdom. I was going to ask you if you had any more nan, Nana's wisdom because uh, she sounded like an incredible woman that gave you many valuable lessons. Oh, she did. I've, there's a few. Um, there's a few that I will share that I will close with uh, that, that, that don't belong to my Nan, but I have picked up with working with multiple coaches. Um, the first one is the kind of sort of around the one to ten, but you can apply it to pretty much anything. And that is to, to really sort of start now and get perfect later. Nobody wants to see perfect, you know. Brené Brown's quote about the man in the arena, which I can't remember where she nicked it from, but it was from someone else. But I'll credit her because she's just a legend. Um, that's what pe people want to see, real people. So show up as who you really are, first, first and foremost. And arguably as powerful, maybe if not more powerful, is that skill set without mindset equals upset so sort out your mindset the skill set will be there and if you can't if you haven't got the skill set you can go and hire it or find it but if your mindset's not in the right place you're not going to have a great day no matter how skilled you are yeah i love that thank you so much for sharing richard it has been an absolute pleasure what a roller coaster of conversation we've had and yeah i think we need to be having another conversation soon because there's been so many points that we haven't been able to to sort of dive a deep dive deeper on so thank you again do you have some final richard stone words i think i think the thing for me really is don't don't let your uniform become a costume to hide who you really are show up as, as, as who you genuinely are you know bosses will respect that your peers will respect that you know we're all human beings if there's this great thing about you need to fake it till you make it it's the biggest load of horse dung i've ever heard people want people to show up as who they really are they can relate to that you can't relate to somebody that's pretending to live the Ferrari lifestyle or the Bentley or whatever the, the thing is they're pretending to be because it doesn't exist. So if it doesn't exist by very nature, you can't relate to it because it's not real. But show up as who you are. Take that little leap of faith in actually showing up as who you are and just having those conversations and ask someone how they are. But ask from the point of view of listening to understand, not listening to respond. And that you will find will lead to some amazing conversations and you might just help someone's day. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.